Welcome to Sweet Tea and Strategy, a podcast by Ackerman Marketing and PR featuring business and community leaders throughout Tennessee, talking about issues and trends of importance to our state and beyond, and sharing some of their best sweet tea recipes and tea sipping stories. I'm Kathy Ackerman, and we're so pleased to welcome Al Williams, CEO of Bush Brothers and Company, to our podcast today. So welcome, Al. Thanks for having me. We're going to start by asking you a little bit about sweet tea. I understand that you're a native-born Southerner, so you must have had a fair amount of experience to sweet tea thus far in your life. Uh, and what's the best tea you've ever had? Where did you have it? A grandmother, maybe, or a favorite diner somewhere? Well, it, uh, it definitely started out with my grandmother. She uh, would always make sweet tea. She had a, uh, a large garden, and we worked there quite a bit, but that, that's where it started out. But now there's no question my favorite sweet tea is Milo sweet tea. Uh, I'm actually on the board of directors for Milo and uh, well, there you a go. great family-owned company down in Birmingham, Alabama. And so, uh, you know, they started 1946 and um, um, Milo's actually started it. And then his son, Ron, took over and turned it into, they used to do hamburgers and restaurants and he decided to focus in on tea. So they, and uh, Tricia, their CEO's, friend of mine now and so they're a um, great family and the uh, best tea as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> so you drink their tea and they eat your beans I bet. That's right that you got it. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks Al. Uh, now we want to turn to the more substantive and interesting topic of Bush Brothers a truly iconic and well-known brand that is headquartered right here in Knoxville Tennessee. I think Knoxville is very proud of this company. Uh, but let's start with a brief history of your personal journey within the company. From what I understand, you've almost, quote, grown up, if you will, within this family-oriented business. So trace us a little bit through how you came to be here, uh, the various positions you've held uh, that have led you now to become CEO a couple of years ago. Yeah, um, well, you know, I grew up in uh, East Tennessee, grew up in Cleveland and uh, Bradley County. I went to UT and uh, got a kind of an unconventional uh, undergraduate degree in Asian studies and economics. Wow, and so, that's uh, an interesting combination. Right, and so uh, then I went to Ole Miss to, um, uh, to get a PhD in economics. And uh, while I was there, I met Leanne, my wife, and she decided I should seek gainful employment outside of uh, academia and being a student. So uh, when I got my master's, I went to the placement office and uh, interviewed and got a job with Sarah Lee, which um, they had a, a meat group division in West Point, Mississippi. Uh, we got married the next year and I worked for Brian Foods for about seven, seven years. And then I um, had an opportunity to come back home, so to speak. So I had an opportunity to come back to Bush. So I came back to Bush in uh, 1997. Yeah. So you know, I started out in an accounting role and uh, at Bush, and then I moved over into procurement. So was buying beans and cans and those sort of things. Um, and then I became director of procurement and logistics. So trucks and trains and customer service and production planning and did those kind of things. Uh, had a great mentor and a guy named Tom Rogutsky and uh, Tom Ferreter, who was the CEO before me, he was my boss when I was in supply chain. So I had a, had a great couple of role models there. And then Jim Ethier, who was our president and CEO at the time, asked me to become the vice president of human resources. So I moved to human resources 
and did that for several years. And um, our CFO had left, and so we had decided to do a, as I as jokingly tell people, we did a global search for CFO, and I hired myself to be the CFO. And, uh, <laughs> and then, um, but was CFO for several years, and then uh, Tom Garreter decided he was going to retire. So about three years ago, I guess, we started in a transition of I became chief operating officer, then president, now CEO. So that's a... So, would you be a proponent of rolling up your sleeves and tackling multiple areas within an organization as a good foundation for ultimately becoming a CEO? Uh, what was the single most important thing you learned along the way that might apply to most business leaders listening to this? Because it sounds like you were able to touch almost every area of the business before you moved into that top spot. Yeah, I definitely, for me, it was perfect. Um, <clears throat> And, and even being the CFO and not being an accountant, you learn that you have to depend on other people uh, and how, how important people are. And so when you're not the technical expert, it, it teaches you some leadership skills, I think. And so as I moved to various roles, you know, I was able to understand the roles and pick up on them, but I was really leaned in on the people there. And so it really helps build relationships. They, um, you know, I think the people appreciate the ability to teach you and, you know, they appreciate, you know, you trying to support them and doing the things that they need to do. So, yeah, for me, it was, I'm kind of a jack of all trades, master of none anyway. So it, it worked out great for me. And teaches you good delegation skills as well. When you, when you realize that you don't have to know every detail of everything that goes on and you have to develop people who do and trust them and give them the support that they need. Right. No, that's that's definitely the case. So when we've got a fabulous group of employees at, you know, at, at Bush, so we're very blessed. So pivoting now to the company itself, which I understand is more than 110 years old and started in a rural part of East Tennessee, uh, canning tomatoes and then hominy and then sauerkraut before beans became the main focus. So take us, if you would, through that sort of fascinating corporate history that led you to where you are today. It's also a family history in many ways. Oh yeah, so it started in 1908. Actually, I believe it was 1907, they, um, there was a, a little bit of a joint venture with the Soakley family to salt canning. Uh, and then right after that, um, I believe AJ bought the, um, bought the canning plant or at least the equipment. He had, I believe had the plant, bought the equipment and started out uh, doing primarily tomatoes. Um, and then <clears throat> the company started to grow but, um, you know, once, you know, we've had some really big changes in the company's history. If you think about with rural electrification and creating, um, building the TVA system, they flooded a lot of the farmland. And so um, tomatoes uh, that were grown in the valley were now, the valley was underwater. So we had to start doing other things. So then you have to have crops that you can haul in. And at that time, tomatoes, um, where you couldn't haul tomatoes very far, so it wasn't going to be a, a lucrative business for us. So uh, the family started to diversify at that point and get into um, to other other vegetables that they can. Uh, we and we bought plants, <clears throat> small plants throughout the southeast. Eventually, bought a plant up in Augusta, Wisconsin, uh, and that plant is where Condon went. Condon Bush, who was our chairman and CEO when I started back in the nineties. 
and that's where he, as we say, invented the baked bean. He, uh, you know, he had the family recipe. So as as the joke goes, he and he and a couple of his uh, co-workers, I, I think maybe one of my mentors, Tom Rogeski, was with him, and they were uh, making it. They had a bathtub and a boat paddle, and they were trying to stir up and create create the secret sauce, and you know, get um, you know, try to cook it and see what it would turn out to be. And so then, I believe it was 1969, they um, started to commercialize the first baked bean, and the rest is history. Uh, baked beans started really doing good and it, you know it was um a, a necessity i believe jim's father at the time was the ceo of the company and that plant wasn't doing very well and um he was like hey we're gonna have to close this plant because we don't have enough work for him and so the motherhood of uh, necessity is the motherhood of invention i guess so he he made it and so the rest is history so then as you go into the 90s and condon and jim then took over. Uh, Jim became president of the company, Condon CEO, as as some uh, as Jim father passed away. Um, and then <clears throat> Jim really brought a um, Condon had that very entrepreneurial spirit to him. Um, Jim is a um, just a brilliant um, leader and and manager. So you think of a kind of a Peter Drucker esque type of person. And so. He brought a lot of the, the marketing expertise and, um, you know, I think some of the cultural foundations that we have in our company. So he, he introduced that throughout the 90s and, um, and the brand just took off, really invested a lot of money in the brand. And, of course, you've seen the commercials, Jay and Duke. And, uh, and so we just carry that tradition forward. So that's kind of how, how we almost exclusively on beans and during some times in the retail product world when diversifying the product line of a food company seemed like the thing to do bush brothers i think chose to go in a different direction and really focus on what you want to do best and what you want to be known for but has that focus always served you well you know i think so we've looked at uh, we went through a period uh, probably the earlier part of this decade, we were looking at a lot of other things, um, uh, maybe things outside the can and uh, other options. And I remember telling the board a story. It's a, th this is, this is why you study Asian studies, I guess, but there's a, um, <laughs> a Buddhist story that uh, this young Buddhist was trying to get back home and, um, you know, he walks and gets to the river and he walks up and down the river and He's like, he's going to give up his journey. And he was like, hey, I don't know how to. And he looks over and he sees this Zen master on the other side. And he says, hey, how do I, how do I get to the other side of the river? Uh, and he said, my son, you're already on the other side of the river. And so you, you, tell, it, you tell that story. Just to, we, we were already where we needed to be. We were in yes. beans, which are incredibly sustainable. We're in cans, which are unbelievably sustainable. They're highly recyclable. Um, you know, they're the most cans are the most safest, you know, food container in the world. There's no food waste associated with it. I mean, I can go on and on about the virtues of beans and cans and why we should be there. So for me, we were already on the other side of the river. We were where we needed to be already. And so um, I think that in our focus, it has it has served us well. We use if you go back to Jim Collins <clears throat> and think of good to great. You know, he talks about the hedgehog. Yes. You know, what can you be the best in the world at? You know, what drives your economic engine? What finances your, um, or what, um, you know, 
um, we talk about what drives our economic engine and what can we be the best of the world at and what we're truly passionate about. And that's beans and cans drive our economic engine and our brand we think we can be the best in the world at. So, so how did the current um, COVID pandemic actually contribute to an uptick in your business? Well, uh, you know, there is the shelf-stable nature of the can. And then we're, um, the majority of our business is retail, primarily. You know, when you think of the large grocery stores uh, the, in our area, for example, the Walmarts, the Kroger's, the Food Cities, the Publix, you know, we sell most of our products in retail. So uh, people are going to be eating at home. And, um, you know, beans beans go well with hamburgers and hot dogs. If you want to make, you know, tacos, black beans, the soup, um, you know, you can, they're so versatile. Um, and so there's they're a nice source of vegetable protein, you know, and so I think it just, people were going to the store, they, they knew a brand that they could trust, they had a product they could trust. So yeah, we've, we've benefited quite a bit from people coming back to the store. So talk a little bit about your canning process and how canned food products are extremely safe and the whole <laughs> recyclable element of that. Yeah, you, um, so what you do actually is you soak the bean and then you put the bean, um, into the can and then you put a lid on that can and once you once you put the lid on the can um, you run it through a, um, a hydrostatic cooker is what we have and so you just run it through a cooking process that actually uh, and you cook it long enough to um, kill all the bacteria that could possibly be in the can you know you just heat it it's a thermal process you're cooking the bean and you're softening that bean up to eat but it also is locked in that container and so once it's locked in that container just like your grandmother would have done when she did her green beans it's the same thing she would put the green beans in the can put the lid on it cook them and then in the night if you're you could sit in bed and hear the cans pop where the as you can see the vacuum remember you could hear it and so that's what happens you know they you got to make sure you have a vacuum uh, and if you don't, then you know that that can wasn't processed correctly. So there's a built-in food safety mechanism there. But there, there's no chemicals or anything for preservative. You know, we don't we we cook our beans, so we don't have to preserve them. So right. we we lock the freshness right in the can. So what about your environmental story? I think you've got some interesting facts and figures there in terms of of your contributions from an environmental standpoint. Yeah, it, you know, I, and I think it starts with the bean itself. Uh, I think the bean locks nitrogen in the soil where, you know, some corn takes it out. So if you think about uh, it, farmers rotate crops. So you put, you know, uh, you want to you want to rotate a bean crop in with a corn crop for the nitrogen. So you have less chemicals on the soil. Um, you know, the amount of water that it takes. So if you think about the amount of protein that you have to feed a pig or a chicken, or a cow and the amount of water that it takes to grow that protein to feed it to the pig or the cow or the chicken and then the process you know it's just much more sustainable just to feed people the protein the vegetable protein mm -hmm. so, so that's a great sustainability story from a can standpoint 70 over 70 75 percent of all cans you know get recycled 37 38 percent of the steel that we or the cans we use come from recycled steel so mm -hmm. um, that's a you know really uh, telling story, and um, and then if you think about 
the waste, you know, if you think about the water that we use, we have a water reuse facility. So we pull basically spring water in, run it through the plants, recycle it, and we take the, the natural gas that comes from the wastewater, we recycle that natural gas to, to go fire our boilers, and then we take the water and, and spray it back on the field so it goes back, you know, gets absorbed into the, uh, into yeah. the water table. So it's so, sort of a perfect storm in terms of an environmental success story. Yeah, very, very environmentally friendly. Um, Turning you know, to the business side of the business, Al, talk a little bit about Bush Brothers' overall kind of business and management philosophy, as well as your debate over the years and how you've stayed at the top of your industry for so long. It's so rare for a company to have the longevity that you have in terms of being a true industry leader. Yeah, I think, you know, for us, there's an Irish philosopher named uh, Charles Handy. And, and Charles Handy, you know, he says it takes three things to be a great company. You have to have products that people want to buy. You have to have the ability to finance your future. And you have to have a place that people want to work. And I think if you can do those three things simultaneously, mm -hmm. um, it's, it really creates that ability for, for long-term sustainability. Um, and so, so for us, I think as we, as we move along, I think it's, um, you know, it's important to be, we're, there, there's another, there's a company called The Living Company, a, a book called The Living Company that, that Jim had me read years ago, had, had a lot of us read. But it talks about the, Conservative financing is very important. Being sensitive to the world around you is important. Having a company purpose or identity is extremely important. And then the tolerance of new ideas and being flexible, having that adaptability. So I think if you, um, you know, that's, it's not the survival of the fittest, you know, it's the survival of the most adaptable. So uh, I, I think that's really helped us, is, you know, maintaining that and, having good core values, uh, a good family, you know, supporting that. And then, um, you know, just a, a I guess a, a business model that is stakeholder driven. And, and I think that's, that's very critical for the long-term success. Right. You, you understand who your stakeholders are, that they're larger than just your shareholders or, or just your management team that you're supporting the whole community. And you all are known, I think, for having such a strong and sort of identifiable culture within your company. I think it's a, a lot of companies talk about culture, but I think that, that you as a company tend to exhibit that culture in every aspect of what you do internally and externally. And that's, you know, you, you've been around for a long time. You've had people who have been very stable within your leadership positions, but what other things have contributed to the strength of that culture at Bush Brothers? You know, I, I think it goes, um, I think it's very important not to just talk about it or put it on a sheet of paper, but actually live it. Um, so if you are going to be stakeholder driven, that you do provide service to your customers, you do provide value to your consumers, you do provide value to your shareholders, you do provide opportunity to your employees. You are responsible citizens within your community. You do provide stability to your suppliers. And when you do all those things at simultaneously, 
it is fairly complicated when you have when you consider each of those things as you make decisions. Right. You, you can make decisions without considering them, but I guess by definition that you would be inconsiderate. So, you know, I think um, for us trying to live that model, um, and I think employees feel that way. Uh, I think they they genuinely understand what we're trying to do, and I do believe that corporations have a purpose. Um, you know, corporations were given protection, you know, legal protection um, for a reason, because they they were, if you go back hundreds of years ago, a corporation was created to do public, a public good. You don't, you don't need a corporation to run a business. You can have a sole proprietorship. But you want a corporation, you get certain benefits from that. You get, you know, protection and, and you know, uh, limited liability and those sort of things. In, in order to do that, I think you have a responsibility. Uh, and I think um, if you have that responsibility to those stakeholders, people like being part of that. You know, you hear the old parable when the guy walks up to the construction site or you hear you know, are you here building, what are you doing? Are you laying brick? Are you building a cathedral? You want the person that's building the cathedral, you know, that's, yes. Uh, and that's, that's what we want. Um, well, and you all are known in the business community uh, as being fairly low key and very private for a company your size, but yet very philanthropic and community minded. So, uh, and you've talked about that a little bit, just touched on that a little bit now, but uh, what are some of the things that your company is committed to long-term from a philanthropic standpoint? Uh, it's For us, we're a food company, and uh, that's what we do best. And so we are, we are very involved with um, uh, feed, Second Harvest Feeding America. Right. Um, and, and that is our primary uh, philanthropic effort. Now, uh, we, we provide what I believe is a, a very nice, lifestyle kind of um, work environment for our employees. So, um, you know, the um, a friendly environment for, you know, we're not working people, you know, crazy hours. So I believe we can have a lot of our people do a lot of their own philanthropic efforts. But as a company, that's our primary focus because that's what we do best. We do food and, and you know, we, there's a lot of people that need food and that's where we try, try to focus. Makes perfect sense. So what's next for Bush Brothers? I know that you're a big proponent of research and development and you have been for a long time as a company. Anything on the horizon that would be really interesting that you're free to talk about at this point in terms of the future? Well, we're going to have a, uh, a line of products come out. We, we've got some tips now that are out in the marketplace in a, in a small test, but um, we're going to uh, be um, coming out with some more bean products in a can. And so um, we will have, um, it, it, because right now we are focused on the can uh, and focused on the beans still. Uh, we've got a lot, a lot of consumers coming back to the center of the store. A lot of consumers are coming, you know, coming back. And so uh, what we've got to do is really make sure that that's a good experience for them. And, we, and we've got to tell that story. I think that's the most important thing we can do is make people feel good about what they're doing today because we've got, millions of new consumers if you go back um you know if you go back just you know less than a year ago you know when when kind of the back in march when a lot of this started to happen those will 
And so we just want the consumer to understand what they're doing is, is really beneficial for the environment, beneficial for their families and their health, and uh, just tell that story. But we'll be coming out with new, new flavors and, and new platforms of, of beans over the next year, year to two. And there's so many um, pieces of research these days who, that show that consumers want to do business, not only with companies that produce good products, but also companies that are good companies. That's becoming more and more important in terms of a consumer differentiating between products that can be fairly commoditized otherwise. Is are they doing this, are these products coming from a company that they can feel proud of doing business with because that company stands for positive things? And I think Bush Brothers really incorporates that. And you you always have, but I think it's probably becoming more important as consumers become more aware of what goes on behind the scenes. Uh, besides just the product that they pick up off the shelf and purchase. Yeah, um, that is important. Yes. So if you were asked to describe Bush Brothers in only three words, what would those three words be? I would say being goodness is a term that you will hear from us. Um, and then I think caring is a, uh, a term that, um, that I hear a lot. I, I ask our employees to uh, talk about our core values and our um, and give examples of fellow employees that they have seen um, show our core values. Caring kept coming up, and so you know that's a it's a very nice characteristic to have. Um, you know, in a corporate environment, you, you have a very close knit group of people that really care about each other and so um so you know that's i think from a cultural standpoint that's probably even though all the core values trust care and responsibility integrity are important um you know i think it's one that resonates with our employees probably more than anything and then the goodness of the bean like i, I keep telling you know keep saying <laughs> that's right so uh, before we conclude, is there anything else that you want to talk about that we haven't yet covered? This has been a, a great interview and a great opportunity to sort of look internally into, as I said earlier, an iconic brand, an iconic company here in the East Tennessee area. But anything else you'd like to mention? Um, you know, no, I, you know, I, I do remember when I, when I got in this role, um, I got an article from a friend of mine. It was, there was a guy, his name was, um, Adam Bryant, I believe his name was, and he, he wrote an article for the, for the New York Times. I think it was called The Corner Office. And uh, he had interviewed 500 and something, you know, CEOs. And they asked him what his favorite story was. And he tells the story, uh, and I may butcher the story. So if we do any fact checking here, I, I may be in trouble. Um, but as he tells the story, you know, he's, he's the CEO of Accenture. The, the guy that told Adam the story, the CEO of Accenture, this is years ago, he's at Babson College and he's looks at, he's had all these people come in and with these flashy resumes and he gets his resume, this kid comes in, his name's Sam, he's got a 3.2 in finance, no fraternity, no athletics, no clubs, no sports, no anything. And um, so he sits down and the first thing he says, he said, well, hey, what did you do with all your time? What, what else were you doing? And he said, well, um, you know, my, my family owns a diner 
um, about an hour from here. And so every Friday afternoon, I go home to Sam's Diner and, you know, I work to from work to close. Saturday, I open work to close. Sunday, I open work to close and I drive back to school. And um, it's my family business. And, and that's what I do. And he said he just wrote down on a sheet of paper, hire this guy, you know, yeah. because yeah. he didn't, you know, and, and, you know, he didn't make excuses. You know, he didn't, he wasn't victimized by the situation. He's a kid that took his circumstances as they were right. and made the best out of it, you know. And so I just think, you know, to me, um, I think at, at Bush, we have a lot of people like that. Um, you know, when you go through the interview process, there's a lot of people taking, take their circumstances as they are and, and really just go roll their sleeves up. And I mean, cause we sell beans, you know, we're not, we don't make rockets or anything. I mean, we, we know what we do and we just got to work hard and, you know, kind of be, be smart. And it's a great story. It's a great story. Al, we thank you so much for spending time with us on Sweet Tea and Strategy. We appreciate you and your company being the committed corporate citizens that you are and for sharing a little bit about Bush Brothers and, and what makes you tick. So thank you very much for joining us. Thank you very much for having me. I enjoyed it.